We are professionals. This is a professional podcast. Yes. Breaking that and better boss off. Hello there. <laughs> Which actually did you this get is gonna me a hat a as bit... well? Um. Yes. So I've got Dune Cam. <laughs> it's just a camera <laughs> with my Dune Steelbook. Welcome back to the Quiet Onset podcast, powered by Cinnamon. I'm Yuan, and today I'm joined by fellow film critic. Uh, maximum Cinema host and uh, facing the bit of truth offer, uh, Alan Mutley. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me yet again. Yes, it's been a tried and true statement of this shows in, in a way it's become that you've been on for the last three times we've covered uh, the ZFF and for the first time we're doing it with video. Welcome. <laughs> and uh, on today's show we're going over the whole slate of uh, the program, um, all of the oh, 145 films or something like something that. Something like that. We're yeah. not going to go all of, <laughs> all of those, of course, but uh, between the two of us, I think we watched about 75 films. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to cover today. <laughs> More than half. So I think we've, we've exactly. done our bit. We've done very well, I'd say. Uh, so we'll go over section by section. Uh, if you want to skip around to anything specific that interests you, uh, there are time codes linked below for the sections and for the individual films as well. Uh, there's also the list that Alan and I made uh, individually for our um, ranked um, list for uh, all of the films that we watched at the ZFF. And um, before we jump in, I just wanted to, uh, maybe a bit of an introduction for people who don't know you yet. I think something that's really impressive that you are doing uh, later this year is uh, for the sight and sound you're doing at the top 100. You were selected as one of the critics. Could you maybe tell us a bit about that? How did, did that come to be? Uh, I actually have no idea how that came to be. Like, uh, I have been a longtime subscriber to, uh, to sight and sound. Um, and I know some people who are regular contributors to sight and sound, but... Uh, yeah, I didn't think that I was like on the radar of sight and sound. But then uh, in July, I think I got an email that said, oh, hey, it's uh, the, the, the 10 year, uh, it's time for the 10 year top uh, best films of all time list of sight and sound. Yeah. And we would like you to contribute and just skim read the email. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a reader's poll. So I'm going to be doing that. And then when I, I th uh, when I actually sat down to, to do it, I reread the email and I was like, no, wait, this doesn't say reader's poll. This is it's a critic's poll. I So, okay, so I don't know how I got here, but yeah. I don't know, maybe they were shopping around their own contributors for, hey, we want more people to contribute to the, yeah. to the list. So might be that I just, that I ended up in that uh, selection. I mean, I saw that they were like 800 and something yeah. last time. Uh, that's already a lot of contributors, yeah. but still a small selection from film critics like as a whole. So congratulations on that. Could you leak one of the films that you put on the list? Uh, yes, I have a, a friend who is very um, disappointed in the lack of animated films in, right. the, in the list. So one of the films that I put on is uh, Hayao Miyazaki, Spirited Away. Okay, um, well, this is going to be a good hour that we have ahead of us. That's nice. No, wouldn't be okay. I don't want to. Maybe not my specific um, Miyazaki pick, but that mm -hmm. only speaks to uh, that th there should be more animation. I on mean, that obviously, list, right? But uh, well, yeah, a great film, great selection. Maybe it will make it on there. I uh, would be pleased if if it does. But um, you and I also contributed to the Out Now Jury Grid, yeah. uh, which uh, looked at a bunch. Of, uh, I'll put it up here, uh, the final one. Um, but also there was a bunch of uh, the gala in the gala section, a bunch of films that were selected from there. And then a, a bigger focus on the focus section, which is uh, films that um, were produced or made in Switzerland, Germany and Austria. Uh, 14 films in total. And we would 
told to, I guess, watch most of them. I don't know <laughs> what yeah. you did. Uh, I, I missed a few. I think I was missed five. Uh, maybe I'll get to a few of them uh, before the festival's over. We we're recording this on the last day of the festival. Yeah, Alan, what was, what was your highlight out of the focus section? Uh, I missed a bunch from the focus section. So uh, I think my highlight was probably either Rubicon, but that doesn't say that much because it's like a deeply like fine movie. So I, yeah. don't, I don't think I had like a major highlight in the focus section, right. but I also caveat, I didn't see that many of that section. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were gearing towards maybe going more for the feature section yeah. right? and then kind of pivoted towards the focus. I tried to fit in as many as I could. Um, I missed the, the award winner that won the mm -hmm. section stunt women. Um, oh, I, I, that one I did see. And what did you think of that one? <sighs> Again, like, it's fine, but it's like one of those, one of those uh, documentaries, kind of documentaries that when you go to a few festivals, then you will have seen, like, you will see four or five of those every time. But it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting story about um, stunt women and their, uh, and their lives and just for that, like it's an interesting watch. Yeah, I think th there were a couple of those typical festival yeah. films, specifically in, in this section. Yeah. There was one called The Water, I don't know if you got to I that one. Uh, it was very much like the environment tale and then weaving that into like generational stuff. It, it's very like beat by beat how mm -hmm. these stories play and then they have a bunch of he uh, head-on shots yeah. documentary, which kind of took me out of the film. Wasn't a big fan of that one. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I think the highlight was uh, probably surprisingly Sacha Torte. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, uh, well, at first it was blasphemy because he was name dropping um, before sunrise. Uh -huh. and I was like, well, this is basically uh marvel bait but for <laughs> for film film lovers the cinephiles and it kind of had its own toll played it i guess by the books but still had a lot of charm and surprisingly the, the product placement of the sachote <laughs> wasn't terrible it, it was kind of charming and i was surprised that i actually liked it quite a bit uh and yeah uh other than that i don't know if there's, there's any other films that you would you would want to mention out of this section I mean, not in a particularly kind way, but right. like uh, Patrick and the Whale yeah. uh, is. If you've seen my octopus teacher, you know what you know exactly what to expect. Yeah. Uh, but it's like one of the, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and uh, maybe one of the, my goals in life is now to recut Patrick and the Whale, take out all the interview sections, and blot out or just delete the voiceover, and just look at forty minutes of whale footage <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> have it be like an ambient thing that I go yeah. to sleep to, but yeah, other than that. I mean, it is, yeah. the, the footage is quite stunning. The footage is stunning, yeah. But again, it's like weaving a story into it. Sometimes just, it feels a bit off to, yeah. know, because you're focusing overly on, on that, like, relationship between mm -hmm. those two but i mean the last one won an oscar so yeah. i don't think this is up there it Probably also doesn't have enough. netflix to back it yeah, up and exactly. that was their front runner but the netflix documentary that uh, robert Downey jr is doing on this on his father senior it's probably going to jump up in yeah. the Oscar just because it's netflix it's it's really they do have the power when it comes to those documentaries there was another documentary be uh, becoming julia uh, about a i guess well i guess locally here about a, a ballet dancer in, in zurich um i mean it was just very very much observing um, this person. I think, I think it was nothing really special, but it won the, the audience prize. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just because I guess it's, it's no local. <laughs> maybe people were like, that, that's cool. Uh, but one of the notable ones that I missed and that I've heard quite good things about you probably missed it as well. Alpenland. Yeah, did that okay. one too. Yeah, same with Skin Skin Deep. Uh, and uh, did you see uh, Thunder, Thunder? 
Uh, I did. Right. Uh, that was uh, one of the ones where I where I had a screener before the festival because I was uh, including it in a piece I wrote for Swiss Info. I admired the movie for uh, for its aesthetics. It's a very beautifully made movie, uh, but to my taste, it was a little bit for what it was. It was too short on story. Right. So it like it felt like one of those movies that are ninety minutes long, but they have uh, material for maybe forty. Mm-hmm. So right. a lot of it, a lot of it felt protracted in a not very purposeful way for me, but uh, it still it uh, you know offers an, an interesting look at uh, Switzerland around the turn of the nineteenth uh, twentieth century and how it kind of negotiates female lust and sexuality and uh, basically frames those as uh, expressions of Christian morality and Christian belief. So that is interesting. But uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't that big of a fan of the ultimate like narrative execution. Well, speaking of things that are maybe don't have the material to go feature length, I think you also saw Holidays. Is that? Uh, I did not. Oh, you did not. That's the that's the Russian documentary. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it follows just despicable characters mainly. (laughs) Great. You can't stand them. They're quite bigots. They're 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 racist. Mm. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I need to see this. I guess it's like a a peek in uh, uh, behind the curtain in in a way. But it also felt like it's not covering a whole year. It felt rushed out because it's. I guess topical right now and yeah. I think it's really recent of how far up it goes um, mm-hmm. but yeah uh, n- nothing to write home about I don't think you, know, you can skip out on that one um, another documentary did you catch girl gang I did not that's uh, the, the documentary that um, <laughs> look up one and I were debating if it's actually a documentary because it feels so forced in certain places mm-hmm. uh, I had an interview lined up with um, the director and then she said well anything that goes on YouTube She's not taking it. So I don't know, oh, I don't know what, okay. what uh, I, I would have loved to interview, her, yeah. especially after that, like cameras all gone, <laughs> just a one to one interview. Um, but, but, but yeah, uh, that one was quite interesting, just as I guess the, the day and age of the TikTok influences yeah. as they rise. And it's, it's about a 14 year old girl and her parents who also become really involved in the business and make it a business. It's a bit about the exploitation, but less about, I guess, the parents, more about the system that exploits just young people, basically burns them out. But it never goes really deep. C- could you talk a bit more about Rubicon? Because I think <laughs> people were very split on, on that one. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm very self-conscious about being put in the position of defending it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's not a great movie by any stretch like yeah. uh, Austrian sci-fi that uh, mentions the word al- algae, algae a whole lot um, but I think I was generally the, the thing I was most taken with was that uh, and I hate to be this patronizing but in this case I think it's kind of warranted that given that it is like an Austrian sci-fi movie it looks quite good I was surprised that it's uh, that it really manages to put you in this first of all in this mindset of the dystopian future and then also like you much of or all of it is spent on a uh, on a space station and the space station has not the most exciting design in the world but it's like it works it's very functional it were uh, it uh, does the job i think and then uh it definitely runs out of story by the end because uh, there's a lot of repetitions in the third act do we go back do we not go yeah back? exactly yeah, it's, it's one story point i'm yeah. trying to find out how much uh, how big of a budget it has because i do agree yeah it looks quite good for i assume probably not that big a budget yeah. and then i think what ultimately won me over was that even though, uh, as I said, it runs out of story by the end, uh, it 
didn't it never actually started to bore me i was right because usually with these kinds of movies i am very forgiving if they manage to hold my attention and that i am like reasonably invested and here i felt myself really being invested in okay so do i want them to save those people down on earth do i not want that yeah. and also i don't know Maybe that's a very basic opinion, but I just think Mark Evanier, to watch Mark Evanier uh, in a supporting turn is always a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, I think the performances there as well, it's just, it's just was the algae. It was just too <laughs> much algae. I, I, I couldn't deal with the algae. Uh, and also, I think it was, I watched it on the day where I, I had the biggest headache. I, I went into mm, the uh, festival being like really, really quite sick, not actually knowing if I have COVID or not. <laughs> Turns out I, I don't, I think. <laughs> I didn't, hopefully. I don't know if I, hopefully I didn't give anyone COVID. But I mean, I we sat next sick. to each other on the, on the first day. We did, and, and you were uh, fine. I, were, so. I am fine. fine and I so coughed far, in your so. face, so that's the <laughs> No. Uh, Wait, what? That was when I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it was during GTNA, which we'll get later. <laughs> Which we'll get to it later, just briefly, I guess. But no, um, and I just had to, this was later on in the festival, but I just had a very off day that morning and I actually had to leave after that screening. I, I went home and was like, no, i got to cut it after two films that right. day. Uh, so maybe I don't have the best impression of me being, um, indulging this movie, yeah. uh, but but still, I, I was a bit under underwhelmed by, by the story beats as they were repeated and yeah. maybe I wasn't as patient with it. I mean, I'm not saying it's the it's a very smart or deep movie. But, but I again, I mean, the focus is to focus on, I guess, more local productions. Yeah, yeah. And it's harder to stand out than, I guess, when the global selection Definitely. is here, when it's just from three countries. So exactly. still the selection, I think, isn't isn't bad at all. Yeah. Uh, last two films, uh, then we'll move on. Uh, Vamos a la playa. Did you? I did not see it, but I heard very bad things about it. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a funny, funny film. <laughs> so, so I'll say it's just, it was, it was um, young people uh, traveling around and finding someone and it's just this loose plot of them going off in separate groups and then the struggles uh, that they have facing with their, with the identity coming to terms with it. But uh, it's, at the end of the day, I think it was it was quite quite bland. Um, didn't really take anything away from it. And the last film that um, maybe neither of us caught uh, the ordinaries. The ordinaries. Uh, no, but I again I heard different different things about it. Yeah. And the the what I heard about the plot really made me uh, interested. But ultimately, I wasn't able to catch it. All right, feature section. Uh, there's one film that I think got really overlooked by the awards section. Maybe uh, we can mention up front. Uh, Neither of us saw the Kings of the World, the, the winner of uh, no. the feature section. Kicking myself from uh, Friday a week ago. <laughs> yeah, for, for me it was, I, I nearly caught everything in the gala section. I think I missed like seven of the 36 films. But I did miss a bunch from the documentary and feature section. Mm. But I think our, our highlight is, uh, both, both of our highlight is After Sun, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So After Sun is one of those movies where I feel, going into it, I felt, okay, so this, is a story about a girl and her divorced dad and they're on uh, they're on holiday and i was like okay so right where is the trauma hidden where is the uh where is the overcrank tragedy and then as the movie progressed uh, it became more and more clear that oh this is not going to be one of those movies it's just going to be a very gentle very empathetic portrait of a daughter and her dad who are both at a crossroads in life and I found it really moving and yeah. uh, it's definitely one of the big highlights and the big uh, revelations of this festival to me. Yeah, it's such a observational piece yeah. in a sense and it really feels like it's not just a film, it's, it really is like art. It depicts mm. that type of feeling of um, 
going on 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 a holiday. I don't know. I saw a bunch of little things that I resonated with that mm-hmm. I could attach to, but it wasn't in a way where it like hits you over the head with yeah. its themes. It's so subtle and and like you said, uh, it's um, well, I guess it's really tender with how it approaches that. So just a really beautiful film. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's I think it it definitely is like a critics. Film. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be interested to see how the general audience responds to it, just because it is very slow. But um, uh, Paul Mescal is his name, right? Yeah. He's, he's he's incredible. He is great. I think God's uh, God's creatures just came out on VOD. I'm gonna dip into that <laughs> as soon as we're done with this recording. <laughs> just released, I think, in the states on VOD. So uh, yeah, just um, him on the rise. I think he's yeah. going to be an actor around to stay. He brings uh, so much nuance and, and her performance with the girl. Mm. Um, Again, another another great um, uh, I guess kid performance, which we we don't get too often. So yeah, yeah, really notable there. And then um, yeah, you caught Blue Jean. Uh, yes, right, just right? Uh, just last night. Not quite on the level of Aftersun, but still really strong. Uh, first of all, it really helps that the film is uh, shot on sixteen millimeters, so it, yeah. uh, it really looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, story of a, a gym teacher in the north of England in the 1980s uh, battling with uh, a crackdown on the, of the uh, Thatcher government on uh, schools and local councils, quote unquote, promoting homosexuality, which, uh, of course, rings very, very relevant uh, at the moment if we see what's for, uh, happening, for example, in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the I, I think I'm most into the aesthetics in the movie, but I also I also think it's uh, quite a fascinating portrait of a um, of a difficult main character because yeah. she, even though she uh, she is a lesbian, she is in a lot of ways she is closeted and actively by her inaction works against uh, the advancement of uh, other people in her position. And yet, it's still a very empathetic portrait of uh, why she does what she does and how she tries to break out of that role. And I thought that was very well done yeah couldn't have said it that's in, in exactly my thoughts as well also yeah visually i think the the 60 millimeter choice is is, is a great one yeah um and then uh one that did that uh, between the two sa- satires the big satires at the film or i guess the one big satire the one the palm door triangle of sadness and uh fucking born home uh you got a favorite right I mean, again, or, favorite is a big word, but yes, it's fucking born. It's home. Rubicon again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> defend it. <laughs> Rubicon, best satire of the year, best sci-fi movie of the year, best comedy of the year, best algae of the year. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, fucking born home. It's. Uh, I think it's one. Uh, one of those movies that. Um, I think I described it to someone else from the Maximum Cinema podcast as it's the most um, three out of five movie you'll ever see. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's your usual uh, two couples with their kids go on uh, vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're from Poland. They go to Bornholm in Denmark and uh, things go awry. And it's pretty much what you expect from that premise. But uh, it has the uh, it has the benefit of director and writer uh, Anna Kazajak being quite good with uh, comedic and darkly darkly humorous dialogue. So it is quite funny, even if it hits the, the usual story beats. And right. At just about, I think, 90 or 95 minutes, it doesn't out, uh, overstay its welcome, which uh, with Ruben Östlund, on the other hand, is usually what happens with me. <laughs> well, we'll get to that a bit later. Uh, any, well, I guess I got a couple more that I saw out of this section. I don't know if you saw The Cake Dynasty. I did not, but I heard uh, wild things about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a very weird movie, and I, I, I have no thoughts of it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened for those 90 minutes or whatever. 
uh, that I watched it. Uh, it was it was uh, it was weird. I think it's also the satire when you first posted. I think you tweeted something about like the best side, and I thought you were talking about this. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, I guess he's talking about the other <laughs> film. That it's, like I don't know if this is supposed to be satirical, if what exactly the the vibe is here. Uh, but I mean, it, it is entertaining, but it's also a bit disturbing and odd. Um, but sounds very Danish. It is. <laughs> I think it is very Danish. <laughs> uh, not sure about Un Unruly if that's also a Danish film or if that's. Uh, I'd actually have to check real quick. But that's, I, yeah, I th it's either Danish or Norwegian. I have not seen it, but uh, there. It is. It is Danish. Yeah, it is Danish. Uh, but um, that was the one that uh, there was a film that I found a bit uh, disappointing because it. It really goes into that, uh, making the, the suffering the main point mm. of um, the film. And obviously, it's real, obviously, like, you know, there, there is real suffering, but making it the focus of, of the film just over and over and over again uh, felt a bit redundant and, and a bit reductive for, I guess, approaching it. But again, then this institution that um, well, uh, took um, people who who stuck out uh, of the system, who were who was uh, sexual in any kind of way, get them to I guess reform. Um, I mean, those were dark times, and they, they happened all over the world in, in those institutions. But it's just it's just a very heavy movie. And for the entire runtime of the film, I had a couple next to me that he came in with like a big beer, and then <laughs> she said uh, his wife said next to me, directly next to me, and was uh, kept. Uh, emoting to everything that was happening. Oh, yeah. She went like, in the most Swiss way, she went, oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> and like everything that happened, so. <laughs> that was my experience with fucking Bornholm. Like, uh, it is a funny movie, but like there was the, the first 20 minutes, it was like, there's an awkward silence. Right. Cinema breaks out in riotous laughter, and I'm sitting there like, calm down. It's just, you know. <laughs> well, we haven't talked about Mad Heidi yet. I think you didn't catch Mad I Heidi. I didn't catch Heidi. I yeah. went to the premiere. That was one of the, the craziest cinema experiences oh, wow. I've had in a long time. <laughs> but uh, War Pony, did you catch that one? I did catch, uh, did catch that one. Yeah. Um, one of those movies that uh, is decent enough but could be much better so it uh, tells the story of uh, basically modern reservation life in I think South Dakota and it uh, it uh, focuses on two characters who don't really meet until the end of the movie and the two narrative foci they don't really speak to each other that much and I think one of the the probably the main main character uh, gets too many conflicts where the conflicts are just sort of samey so like oh right. he his he has trouble with his girlfriend and he also has trouble with his ex-girlfriend yeah. and uh, he has also has trouble with another woman and it's yeah. uh, a little bit of a little bit of a repetitive movie but uh, it's you know I guess it's fun enough I don't really mind it that much yeah it's very much the dramatized daily life yeah of, exactly of, some, of um, someone living in that community that I guess gets gets a bit emphasized in, in this, but I also agree. I agree it was a bit repetitive. Um, it's certainly, I think that that's, it also premiered at Gun. It was one of the fil uh, films that I missed in Gun. Um, but a lot of, uh, in the section, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, I'll put it on screen right now. Uh, but overall, in that section, um, a lot of the films were like about two hours long mm -hmm. and a lot of them were, were a bit too long. Um, yeah, yeah, same so, same with War Pony. So like, and yeah, it's not getting the bottle recut, which which won't <laughs> save that movie, by the way. But 
I think one movie that I didn't catch that you caught until tomorrow. Yes, that was uh, that was really good. Uh, also saw that yesterday. Yesterday mm -hmm. was a good day for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, until tomorrow. Uh, it. I mean, it's very much in the style of what of what uh, you think of when you think of like contemporary Iranian social drama. So it's very much in the Ashkar Farhadi uh, tradition. Uh, it's about a woman who lives in Tehran on her own. She has a baby. And then out of the blue, her parents uh, call her and they're like, hey, can we stay? Can we stay over at yours tonight? Because mm -hmm. we have business in the city. And then the, f the film tells the story of her trying to uh, find a place where she can uh, keep her baby overnight so that her parents won't find out that she is a mother. Right. And it's uh, the movie or the, the viewing experience this reminded me most of is Uncut Gems, because it's really like trying to... Uh, trying to find your way out of a tight spot and mm. just like seeing option after option just uh, turning out to not be feasible. Right. And then every time you think, oh, now she's done it, it's like she gets another phone call. And it's like, no, it doesn't work out after all. And uh, on, the, on the one hand, it can seem a bit like a screenwriting exercise at the time, but I also, it's very grounded. It's very like rooted in the everyday. And it really is, a, I think, a great illustration uh, or it feels like a great illustration of all these social and religious and legal pressures uh, that are on uh, Iranian women all the time and that uh, in this movie really at every moment threaten to just come crashing down on the protagonist and at 85 minutes that's just the perfect format and the perfect uh, length and pace for a, for a story like this and I really really enjoyed it. Well I think the the jury which I think Oscar Fahadi is also the, yeah. the the president of or like the, the leader of the jury in the feature section I gave it a, a special shout out mm. uh, and I'm blanking on what other movie got the special shout out but uh, there was one one more, I think. But uh, there's a couple films that I uh, missed. I don't know if you caught any of those. So I'll, I'll list them and you can yep. tell me if you have. Uh, Return to Seoul. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Sairi. I'm not entirely sure. I did not catch that. Something You Said Last Night and Cork. What's the last one? Cork. How do you spell that? Uh, just like cork, C O R K. Huh. I, I completely not, missed that. One. I have no. Azuro <laughs> is is what it's called. Uh, no, also not. So no, right. I've seen uh, I've seen Return to Soul, and I'm yeah. going to see something I said last night later today. But right. as of now, I have no thoughts on that one yet. Obviously, yeah. Return to Soul um, again uh, could be disappointing because it could be much better. So uh, it's uh, the story of a, uh, of a French woman who uh, was born in South Korea and was then adopted by a French couple when she was a baby. Uh, and she goes back to South Korea for the, uh, for the first time and she tries to find her uh, biological parents. And that is about maybe half of the movie, maybe a bit less of, uh, than half of the movie. And that uh, is, you know, your re pretty regular fish out of water story. Yeah. Uh, that is quite empathetically done, that's fine. But then afterwards there are two time jumps and then the movie kind of loses control of its characters and it just goes off in directions that are interesting, I'm gonna give it that, but that don't really follow from uh, from the characters as we've been introduced, uh, as we've been, yeah, as we've uh, met them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's probably a bit over ambitious in where it goes with its, uh, with its very simple story. Right, interesting. And then uh, one film I uh, almost skipped over, which I would, after seeing it, I would describe as probably the inferior version of uh, Until Tomorrow. Uh, Valeria is getting uh, married. Okay. 
Um, also seeing that today, so I'm uh, oh, very, right. very excited. It's also on the, the video platform, by the way, if you miss it. Yeah, but my, my mom wants to wanted to go see oh, another movie okay. this afternoon, and this well, one was the one that fit the schedule. But I, I think I think it's <laughs> it's a film that is very, very simple. Uh, it mm -hmm. feels like that kind of um, one location yeah. film uh, where it is all about a system that you get a peek into uh, through what, what someone experiences uh, being kind of married off uh, into a different country and maybe not wanting to do that and uh, going through this, the, I guess, subtle reasons why why you obviously don't want to do that if you want to meet the person the first time you, you see them and then those arranged marriages that are basically, I guess, back in, um, going back in time for what marriages were for, just for... Mm. I guess, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, being located <laughs> with someone who's, who's a bit better off or can provide safety. Uh, I, I think it was a bit underwhelming because it, it is really simple in what it's doing. Um, so it might work better in, in a short form in like a 30 minute thing. Um, but still, I found it um, I found it engaging and it's I think it also isn't too long. I think it's like about 90 minutes. Uh, but that's the, that's the feature section. Now moving to the embarrassed, to me, very embarrassing documentary section where I only caught one film. Well, what was what was the documentary that, or the one of the documentaries that you saw? That uh, was... I saw All That Breathes. Yeah. Uh, which I really enjoyed. Again, it's a very uh, it's very much a, a documentary that you would see at a festival. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those that really used the format well. So it's about uh, three brothers in Delhi, one of the most polluted cities in, on the planet who have dedicated their lives to saving uh, and looking after the local bird population, specifically the kites. Uh, and basically they treat kites that are grounded because they're injured or that just fall out of the sky because uh, the air is so polluted. And mm. it uh, doesn't sound like much, but um, they also the film also ties this to uh, the current political situation in India because the three protagonists are Muslims. Yeah. And uh, there is this very anti-Muslim uh, rhetoric and politics and violence in uh, India right now, also during the film. So right. anti-Muslim riots um, and basically pogroms are uh, part of the film. And they, the movie really uh, deftly links their animal rights activism or their um, saving of the animals or of the birds uh, very deftly links that to we must uh, be mindful of all other creatures and that includes uh, fellow uh, fellow people so I think it really um, uh, it really does well on that score and it's beautifully photographed so you get a lot of very intricate shots uh, also with uh, different uh, different foci and also like super detailed close-ups of insects and things mm -hmm. so it also just it looks really beautiful and no narrator that feels like he needs to connect himself to these animals. There much. is, I mean, there is a voiceover, but it comes up like four times. It right. can, and it's one of the brothers. It can seem a little distracting. So that's probably the film's biggest weakness. But right. uh, like in, in an eighty-five-minute movie, if you have like four portions where there's voiceover, it's just like yeah, yeah we, we'll we'll roll with it. Well, for me, the only thing I caught was Sam. Now and I didn't even see it at a festival. I got a screener. From the directors, uh, did an interview with the director and the producer uh, that uh, I'll link to right here. But um, to me, this was a, a very Im impressive uh, documentary. Maybe I'm a bit biased because I also met them now and they were super charming. 
Um, it does hit this, uh, hit kind of the same bits because it is about uh, an older brother documentary, uh, doc uh, documenting his his younger brother, who's eight years younger than him, um, from uh, who who has a different mother. That mother abandons them uh, quite uh, early on without saying anything. So the movie becomes uh, very much just a a film about observing your little brother and maybe making a narrative out of that and. Uh, they they both were people who were doing sh uh, short films um, as they were young as well. There's a bunch of sequences that they put in that I thought were remade just because they they worked so well for for being done by teenagers. Uh, very impressive stuff. So he has a lot of material, and then it becomes very much about dealing and growing up. And it spans over 25 years, goes through different formats from I think Super 8 to a whole bunch of um, yeah, uh, even to digital and camcorders. There's a whole bunch of uh, different uh, looks that you get in the film, and it's it's quite creatively told. It uh, doesn't overstay its welcome. Again, the, the beat of the, the mother maybe a bit repeated uh, much because. I think ultimately it doesn't hold that much in that story, uh, but it, it really is interesting and it won um, the, the jury prize. We can go through and maybe see if, if one of those films either of us also caught. There's a, the other whale film, uh, A Taste of Whale, uh, a provincial hospital, um, Blue Island, um, Cowboy Poets, Day After, Eternal Spring. I saw Eternal Spring, but you just went through so, uh, so many titles. I was like, oh yeah, I almost caught that. And yeah. then uh, it, got, uh, it got short shrift uh, in favor of another of another movie. Yeah, I mean, we have the possibility to still see a bunch yeah, of films, true. and uh, especially the documentaries are yeah. on that platform for the critics. So we, we probably end mm. up catching these still, but yeah. I guess they're not a priority, right? Yeah. When, over the other uh, films, unfortunately. But yeah, Eternal uh, Spring. Eternal Spring, uh, very... Um, striking story it uh, tells the story of uh, a group of uh, falun gong practitioners from china who were in one way or another uh, involved in the hijacking of uh, the state tv station in china in 2002 after the the movement had been uh, banned and practitioners were brutally persecuted uh, and there was a lot of propaganda swirling around uh, through the state media that Falun Gong is uh, is bad for families, that uh, pe that it's just an, an evil in society. Yeah. And then they hijacked the, the TV station to basically correct the record and to say, no, Falun Gong is, this, uh, is rooted in Buddhism. These are the tenets. Uh, and as I said, it's a very striking, very relevant, very important story about anti-religious uh, persecution in China. But where it ultimately falls down for me is the execution, because uh, the basically the main character is a is a comic artist, and that is fair enough. Like if you want to do an animated documentary, then and your ma your main character or your main protagonist is a is a comic artist, that makes perfect sense. However, the movie is not really made in a comic style but more of a like video game telltale point and click adventure style right and that really distracts from from the story because it's also characters are introduced like they would be in like a quirky uh, a quirky indie game or something and it feels really jarring to uh, to put that story side by side with those very video game visuals and also like a pre or a credits a credit sequence that looks straight out of GTA as well. Right, okay. So it's uh, the the style really hurts the substance in that case.
Katrina Babies is a film that I also had on my schedule. I even had a ticket. I had to cancel. It happens so much this festival. It usually doesn't. But um, I mean, I've, I've heard some good things. I heard about good it. things about it. Heard okay things about it. Yeah. So I would be interested in still seeing it. Also because I'm quite interested in like New Orleans after Katrina. Mm. And uh, my old school. Oh, oh I have on, seen right? that. It's, it's, this is such a high, comparatively high-profile movie. I keep thinking that it's like a special screening or a yeah. gala premiere. But uh, well, yeah, talk about the movie where the substance is uh, is hurt by the style. Um, so it's uh, I'm not going to say too much about it because it's one of those movies where um, it's best if you just go in knowing nothing and then having uh, basically the movie lift the lid off. Even though the movie undercuts itself in that a little bit, because what it talks about, I guess, made uh, a lot of headlines in the early 2000s in the UK. Yeah. Um, so there is a prologue to the movie that basically gives away the game, which I thought was a bit of a shame. But generally, it's just about uh, a person uh, uh, looking back at uh, how he um, how he was a uh, student at high school mm -hmm. and how that was. Um, an unusual story, let's put it that way. Right. And again, yeah. the story is great. It's narrated by a lot of very affable Glaswegians who are very Scottish and very Glaswegian in every in everything they do and how they yeah. how they talk and how they remember things. So that was very fun. What is less fun is that speaking of movies that look like video games, it looks like a very a lot of it looks like a very cheap like browser game that you would right. play about like Dora the Explorer or uh -huh. something. It's just. Uh, yeah, again, like if you want to use animation, that is fair enough. But here the animation is just very, very cheap and it doesn't it doesn't really add anything. Well, interesting. I, I mean, I've I think that one premiered all the way at Sundance. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But I, I, I missed it there as well. Uh, there's there's four more films that I think both of us missed. Uh, Hide and Seek. Um, didn't hear anything about that one. Same. The Killing of a Journalist. Um, I heard think that got a special mention. Yeah, and I think I heard some people say good things about it. Uh, the Mission, um, which I'll still catch because it is on that platform, but I also um, didn't catch that one. And uh, uh, the new Greatness Case. I don't know if that's a translation thing. <laughs> it's No, it is the no, new I Greatness think, yeah, Case. Okay. I, I almost went to see that on Thursday night, but that was before I knew that uh, Press Pass uh, also gets you gala premiere tickets. So uh, really, it does. So yeah. So oh, I um, thought that was actually well, okay, okay. Good to know. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I went. Me. So I went to see the menu instead. Right. Okay. Well, I'll keep. Uh, I, I mean, I saw twenty nine of the thirty six films. I, I think I didn't miss out on the gala things, the gala screenings, but still, I didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for for the documentary section. Um, I think let's let's kick in and actually get into uh, the just mentioned special uh, section at the festival. First up, I also missed a, a bunch of films over here, but maybe let's kick it off with the film that recently won the Golden Lion uh, over in Venice, uh, being I think the second or the third, I think the, the second documentary to ever win it, uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Yes. Did you catch that one? I did catch it. Yes. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised, very pleasantly surprised, because I'd previously, I think I've only seen Citizen 4 by the director, Laura Poitras, and I was a bit underwhelmed by Citizen 4. Um, and then I went into All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and I was really blown away because uh, it's a more traditional style documentary than something like Citizen Four. So you, I guess you could fault it for that, but it makes up for it in uh, a great protagonist and yeah. uh, 
really good presentation of or juxtaposition of the two things it talks about so on the one hand uh you have well at the center of the movie there's uh, nan golden the photography artist and on the one hand the film talks about her activism against the sackler family who were basically responsible for the opioid crisis and how their name is on a bunch of uh, museum wings and art collections because they style themselves patrons of the arts. Uh, so her activism to, uh, is to uh, take the Sackler name off um, these museum wings and art collections. Uh, and then on the other hand, uh, the film also reconstructs her, um, basically her formative years from uh, her birth and through the 1970s and 1980s in New York. Uh, in the, the queer scene uh, of New York at that time and also with the advent of the AIDS crisis, how, um, how a lot of her friends and her fellow activists died during that time. And I think uh, without really hammering you over the head with it, the film uh, constructs this parallel uh, narrative that um, you have the AIDS epidemic uh, in the 80s and 90s and you have the op opioid e epidemic in the 2010s mm -hmm. and how both of these are kind of uh, expressions of a politics of disinterest and how uh, people are basically left to die because there is no political incentive to uh, to help them and i thought that was really well done yeah i, I agree that i think the the, the thing that um i guess is the biggest critique point coming out of it is that it is those two storylines that it goes back and forth to and to me that was at times a bit jarring and sometimes mm -hmm. I wanted to stay especially in like going back and looking yeah. at her life I think that was so incredibly interesting it also yeah. spanned I guess over a greater period of time True. and she's she's such an interesting person so to follow. Much, yeah. so it's like I guess a retrospective on what she what she has done and what she's doing right now and that's that's how kind of how i saw it but thematically as well i think it, it is that repeated oppression that she kind of fights against the systemical things that uh that yeah of, of, of ignorance and um disinterest and so i i think overall it's uh it's it's uh it's surprising to me still that it won um yeah. something like the the um golden lion in venice but um, yeah, I think it's it's certainly a documentary that, that that's pretty much a must watch. I think yes, this year, absolutely, it's, it's a very solid film. And a film I think you also just caught yesterday, Crimes of the Future. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I had a great time. I've been looking forward yes. to Crimes of the Future for uh, months or whenever the first trailer or no, I mean when it was first uh, uh, announced. But then the first trailer came out early this year and yeah. Uh, Somebody posted it in the Maximum Cinema chat and people were like, ew, what is this? And I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the great return of David Cronenberg after, yeah. I think, eight years um, away from, from cinema screens. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I really love the movie. It's uh, unapologetically heady. It doesn't ingratiate itself with its audience. It's just uh, basically transhumanist art theory uh, with a bit of... Uh, tax incentive uh location shooting in greece um <laughs> that uh yeah it's just it, it it really works through a lot of the obsessions that cronenberg has uh, 
been toying with over the course of his at this point almost 50 year career yeah it's confounding it's uh, uh difficult in many ways it's also really funny i thought um kristen stewart gives a great over-the-top performance uh and yeah i'm still i'm still processing it but i already can't wait to watch it again and also great another great uh, musical score from uh, from howard shore right I think I think we probably don't share the same opinion on this. <laughs> I, I didn't really like it. Uh, I, I I just I don't know. I, I think there's not much to say other than uh, if you uh, are in for the style that he creates and the world that mm. he creates, then it's a bit easier to follow. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. if you don't care as much about yeah. the plot, because I think that kind of fizzles into a bit of nothingness. Yeah. Which you could also also attribute to like that's intentional. I don't know. I just I, I didn't really vibe with it as much. Uh so it wasn't really yeah. high on my list. Uh I, I read somewhere that in a QA uh he said that uh, introducing the movie, he said, uh, you will get it after the first 10 minutes and afterwards you're free to leave. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing about like so many people left this film. Mm. I was in Cannes where that hap was happening. Uh -huh. There were not that many people leaving. There were more people leaving for other films. Huh. There, yeah, so there more, I think there were more people leaving for 3,000 Days of Longing. Uh, than, <laughs> wow. But, but yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> something that no one left. Uh, it really... <laughs> special Swiss tale of filmmaking um, in here is also Heidi from 1952. But then the new film, um, independently produced uh, with a $2 million budget, fan-founded uh, Mad Heidi, a Swiss exploitation film. And I, well, that's the company that does it. And uh, yeah, it was at, uh, at the premiere, um, which had a, a whole bunch of people who were supporters for this film for, for years. I think five or seven years this film has been in production. Um, and uh, it's it's impressive for Swiss filmmaking to see okay. it. Uh, I I think I'm kind of trying to give it a better a higher rating than it actually would deserve if I would like be more a bit objective than subjective. But I mean, film rating is always subjective. But uh, it's it's entertaining, but it, it has like an aesthetic where it uh, constantly cuts into the frame in the same thing, and it also has a bunch of um, editing stuff that is a bit amateurish which is fine if it's a fan produced film and a fan film but it is also trying to usher in a new era for yeah. swiss filmmaking and i think it's th they're overshooting maybe a bit in its ambition of what it actually can achieve but when it comes to fan service on a level of, of fan founding a film and then providing that service i think they had had a blast they absolutely had a huge success at that screening um i haven't checked with the other two screenings that it had after that where it wasn't apparently the one yesterday that i didn't go to because i thought it was sold out they had ticketing problems so a friend of mine who went uh, said the cinema is basically empty because nobody was able to book tickets and they're really? giving away seats for free uh, oh, wow. But unfortunately, I was already basically uh, in front of my front door like three minutes before the movie uh, uh, was supposed to start. So yeah. I couldn't make it back down to, to Corsa to catch it. Well, that's, that's, that's a, a shame. Yeah. yeah, it is a shame because, um, well, it is getting a release, I think, in, in November. November yeah. And then uh, it will be available online. And I think it is something that... Uh, I think it's worth celebrating, even if yeah. we don't, because it, it, it serves a, a niche community and it's genre film that we never get. We In Swiss films, it's a lot of period pieces, yeah. a lot of money of the, I think the 86 million that we have in total for budgeting that is given to Swiss filmmakers. You know, it, it ends up being uh, a, a 
Bruno Manzo or whatever. Hence, like that type of film, yeah. which doesn't add anything to it. And at least here we can say it's really something new if you like it or not. But uh, so Mad Heidi, I think just if you want, a, I mean, they described it as a, a trashy B movie mm. themselves. Uh, after the film and the Q and A, uh, so it, it is fully self-aware. I don't know if it works at all times, but it also doesn't have to. If it's a trash B movie, you can just enjoy it. Um, but <laughs> enough of Mad Heidi. I also did an interview, a link, uh, two interviews. I'll link to those here as well. And then um, speak no evil, which is something I think you didn't really enjoy, right? Yeah, because um, I, I saw someone uh, someone describe this movie as it's one of those movies where you go, yes. I get it. It's fine. Yeah, uh, it's. Um, I mean, again, that that's probably where my adage that everybody trying to do Ruben Östlund is better at it than Östlund himself. I think this yeah. one might just be the case where that's not the case. Yeah, uh, it's uh, basically a Danish couple who uh, meets a Dutch couple on vacation in Italy, and then the the Dutch couple invites the Danish couple for a weekend, and then things go awry from there. The the way people describe this movie to me, I thought it would be like. Don't get me wrong. It is very violent, yeah. but it. I think it was more prominently violent, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. just like you know, almost you know, just kind yeah. of an end tag. Uh, to me, it was uh, a bit underwhelming because I was yeah. like, okay, when when is it coming? I guess it's psychologically a bit like it's, tense. Yeah, I guess. But it also goes like from zero to one hundred. Yeah. The characters don't really so make, much make sense. Yeah, and then in the end, I feel the, the the finale doesn't really add that much because it already basically shows you what the whole what the whole plot or the whole story behind the thing is. Yeah, and then the end basically just reiterates that it just for has those to people. Go through all the nonsense yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. To and then that. it's uh, yeah so so what <laughs> so that's i think that's the that's that was my initial reaction when i got it. I was like okay so what i think the the last film um last year when we came out of the souvenir part two mm -hmm. i i was i was raving and i was like yeah that's a great film and i'm like no oh, that's kind of okay and now we got the new film from uh -huh. joanna hoke uh the eternal daughter did you manage to 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 fit that one into your schedule? yes i did yeah and uh it's funny because that is a movie that probably only really makes sense if you've seen the two souvenirs because uh, Tilda Swinton plays basically plays the character that her daughter plays in uh, in the two souvenirs uh, has the same name and she also still plays the character's mother so so we get two Tilda Swintons in this movie yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think I ended up liking it a little better than uh, than the souvenir movies because mm -hmm. I mean it is a very meta film but it's not. Yeah not really in your face about how meta it is and i like even apart from that i just enjoyed that it was like an old-timey uh 1950s ghost story mm -hmm. uh so like if you put i don't know robert wise's the haunting uh in color and uh switched out all the all the actors with tilda swinton that's probably the uh the movie you would get and uh i had a i had a good time it's it's like it's not a masterpiece i would say because it does end up doing probably a little bit too little with uh, with what it has or what what it's what is going on on the story and emotional level. Right. But uh, no, at like a small scale uh, artsy ghost story, I had a good time. For me, I think I was a bit underwhelmed by it, but I think it's really easy to be underwhelmed by one oh, of the films yeah. because they are so. So we, I think they're quite subtle in what mm -hmm. they're doing. I think the souvenir part too is is very much uh, a bit more, uh, I guess, 
easier to digest with yeah. its themes because it's just about the film production. And here, it's really, can you indulge uh, Tilda Swinton talking to herself um, for for like 90 minutes or however long the film is? And to me, it, it didn't really um, emotionally engage me. So I was quite quite uh, bored early on in. And then I, I, I was a bit underwhelmed by it. Uh, so for me, the Silver Deer films are still, still up top there. Uh, I am going to watch more Joanna Hawke, so that's uh, that's yeah, uh, definitely. I think she she's a she's a um, great up and coming filmmaker. Nuclear, not seen. Oliver Stone. I, well, I wouldn't have seen it at ZFF as well. I, I saw it in Venice, and it actually made me rethink Nuclear Nuclear Power. Although it is more like a a overproduced uh, YouTube video than an actual documentary. It's very much Oliver Stone coming in and saying. Um, and telling you directly, yeah, look at all those dumb people who don't get that nuclear is actually not that dangerous. And it's like him honing that point in. Um, it, it's very much just an argument for this This would be good. <laughs> Let's do that. It would actually help us. And it made some great points. Um, and I, I found it really enlightening as, as someone who, who is not really, in, I guess, that up to date with what's the, the latest in energy tech uh the argument for nuclear energy was made here um quite well uh, it was it was done quite well <laughs> although again it feels like a youtube video <laughs> uh, i have to i have to say i have not uh, watched the video but uh, one of the more compelling cases uh that has nothing to do with the dangers of uh um of nuclear power is the the fact that you will have to build them somewhere and there will be massive massive resistance from the places where you would build them so that yeah. the political hurdles are probably too big and it's also i think in, in especially central europe it's yeah. it's it's done yeah <laughs> for for at least like the next few years i don't think anything's happening yeah. uh there which yeah if, if you go by his argument is kind of disappointing because well, I, again that's it's like it's oliver very, stone so it's it is oliver stone so. <laughs> It's also, or, it obviously it's welcome about like half an hour. Yeah, as as my as my dad always refers to him as Oliver. There's a conspiracy stone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we both caught Rimini. We um, did. I, I, another film where I was I wasn't sure what to think about it while I was watching it because I I went from oh, this movie sucks. I hate this character. I can't stand it. But it's like, well, that's actually the point. You're supposed to observe it. It's like, well, it's repetitive. It goes back to the same point and it feels like it's reiterating the same thing. Mm. Well, that's the point. We're supposed to be annoyed <laughs> with him going back and forth, but it's doing it too much. But no, what did you make of it? Uh, I realized while I was, what I was watching the movie or after I've, uh, I've watched it, uh, I actually haven't seen as much Ulrich Seidel as I thought I had. I think I only saw his Paradise trilogy before that. Mm -hmm. um, but I have sort of an idea of what he's about and I feel um, Rimini is kind of very much a late work in that it picks up things that, uh, that have been swirling around his filmography all his career mm -hmm. and not deploying them that purposefully but i think uh what he what he does in rimini it's still like it still intrigued me uh quite uh, quite a bit so just uh just the very premise of like a uh, um a croon a crooner who uh has to somehow get through the the tough winter months in rimini and uh play to very unenthusiastic fairly unenthusiastic crowds of elderly austrians yeah. uh it's just like it's a great image it's a uh, uh it makes for a great mood i agree that it's too long and it kind of fizzles out by the end and there's a lot of repetition in it but i 
think uh, it is both intriguing enough and it just has this very caustic sort of mean-spirited societal uh, yeah. atmosphere <laughs> that I understand anyone I can understand anyone who can't uh, who can't connect with that but here I thought it was uh, it was quite effective I think it was very effective which made it so so uh, so heavy at yeah. times, you know but yeah I think it succeeded there uh, then other than that, I mean, Avatar. I was also playing in that section. I didn't rewatch Avatar. Didn't rewatch it, but, but I did uh, check out the in in the festival center. They did have those the cars right there, uh, sponsored by I don't know what car company, but a car Mercedes. Car maybe? Mer I think probably yeah. Mercedes. I think they're sponsor of some of them. Well, shout out to you, Mercedes. Uh, then the unredacted is uh, yes. Oh, I've you saw that, that one. one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm quoting lots, lots of friends of mine. Somebody said, there's a good film in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's uh, originally, I think it, uh, it premiered in Sundance under the title Jihad Rehab. Yeah. Uh, which is probably the better title, uh, but I don't really know what happened behind the scenes. And also the filmmaker has very strong opinions about people wanting to silence her or her movie. Mm -hmm. Don't know how much of that is PR, probably a fair right. bit of it, because the, uh, the movie itself is basically about um, a maximum security rehab center in uh, Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. which uh, hosts a program that uh, where... Um, terrorists uh, go uh, either they've been called by the Saudi government or they've been um, released from Guantanamo right. uh, and where they are basically rehabilitated and reintegrated into society uh, and the movie uh, focuses on I think four three or four uh, Yemeni uh, terrorists who are released from Guantanamo mm -hmm. and Saudi Arabia takes them and puts them in that re uh, rehabilitation center and then the movie charts their um, basically charts their journey through uh, through the program. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, when you think it's over, there is the shift of power in Saudi politics and uh, Mohammed bin Salman or MBS comes to power and uh, really places emphasis on anti-terrorism or counter-terrorism. So mm -hmm. uh, the program is now something completely different and they won't let them leave. Right. And also they're Yemeni, so they're not really integrated into Saudi society anyway. Yeah. And like on the substance, it's a very fascinating movie. But uh, as the documentarian handiwork goes, it's a little shoddy and probably ethically a little, um, uh, little. I don't know. It's a bit of a margin case or borderline case because, right. uh, for example, the director she speaks Arabic, but a lot of the um, a lot of the interviews are in English, which puts the the people she talks with, uh, the reform terrorists, uh, which puts them at a severe disadvantage and also kind of infantilizes them. Right. And the movie also has this strange tendency to, in uh, quotation marks, humanize them by just basically making fun of them, which uh, is, yeah, it's a bit of a... It's a bit disappointing because it is a really, it is a really important and a really, really interesting story. So, so the last film I would mention in the special section that I didn't catch, but the new uh, Jan Gassman film, Ninety Nine Moons. Did you catch that one? I did oh, not, but it. I. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the gods were not happy with that. <laughs> Mind the hardware. Uh, I did not. I only, okay. I only uh, afterwards realized that I've already seen one of his movies uh, years yeah. ago. Wonderland. Uh, no, oh, it was was he also one of the Wonderland? Yeah, and yeah. I think Europe she loves as well. So okay, so right. two, well, there's, there's two there's not movies, that I many think. films. I, th yeah. he doesn't, I think he is in the, because uh, all of the competition section is mm -hmm. 
the first three works of a director, yeah. then he needs to go into, I, then they go into gala, yeah. I guess, special. And for him, I guess Wonderland, uh, it would be his fourth film then, if I see yeah. that correctly over Yeah, he, this is his fourth uh, feature length film um, over here. I also didn't catch it. I it will that one. probably be out in cinemas in due course. Yes. And then uh, a bunch of other films over that uh, in this section, the special section that we'll, we'll skip over. I don't think uh, we saw any of those. No, before. No. Layla's Brothers. Layla's Brothers. I almost forgot. Did you? You no. probably didn't manage to fit in that two over two and a half hour long movie. Oh, wow. Uh, I caught it at Gun. It was one of the films that didn't get any highlight coming out of Gun, but I thought it was one of the most solid films coming out of the festival. It also didn't get selected for Iran this year for the Oscars. Mm -hmm. It certainly has a shot to, to be in there. I think it's a really good story about Leila and her brothers and them going through a, a bit of a like a financial crisis, but then also them living their lives and her needing to carry for, for them um, and kind of just a big family movie where every performance is really outstanding. It's so well written and performed. It's a lot of like that everyone talks over each other, but they all have like they're not just making noise, but they yeah. like there's a lot of backstory to every character that's not on screen. And it really comes through. Uh, certainly something to keep on your radar. If you Sounds seen great. Yet. Yeah. Sounds right up my alley. Uh, but but that's it for the uh, for the special section. Um, we'll get into the gala section, the biggest one. Uh, <laughs> been talking for over an hour, but uh, we'll. We'll, we'll go through these films. I've watched most of them, um, and maybe we'll give a, give more of a brief thoughts on on those uh, smaller films. Great to shout them out a bit more here. Uh, I think people already yeah. have them a bit more on their radar. But uh, the opening film, a bit bit disappointing, right? Yes. The swimmers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Weird mixture between refugee procedural and sports drama to the detriment of both, I would say. Yeah, I agreed there. I think it has some interesting visual choices, yeah. but then also like, why does it have these? interesting visual visual choices mm. it's it's a very it's a netflix film and it's very much a netflix film yeah uh it's it's, it's weird that it has become kind of a a, a a rating thing to like kind of see what kind of vibe they're going for mm. and in a swiss film a forgotten man um about a, a diplomat who was uh working um or representing switzerland during the world war world war Two, working really closely i guess next to with against that's the question adolf hitler and and um the nazi regime uh as he comes back the war is over and it's about kind of figuring out that it's in black and white uh yeah did you catch that one uh yeah. yes i uh um i saw that i saw that previously um through a screener and right. uh i thought it was okay uh, i yeah. think the i think the writing is more interesting than the than the execution because mm -hmm. the writing suggests some things about swiss involvement in world war ii that um usually or that often goes unmentioned in oh, swiss yeah. narratives it's, it's fictional it's the, the character i mean it's fictionalized it's fictionalized with the character i mean he is based on on hans fröhlicher who is uh, who was the swiss ambassador to germany and yeah, yeah i think it uh I think the most striking thing about it is that it basically suggests if the Nazis had won the war, Switzerland would have been just as ready to cooperate with them as they were to cooperate with the Allies. And yeah. I think that's a worthy statement to make. It's it's really interesting because like as as someone who's not 80 years old, you have not lived through that. So it's yeah. the narrative that has been put forward 
back then and it's it's a bit about that as well where we want to end the war on the winner's side yeah. and kind of yeah make a statement in in history of what side we were on mm-hmm. so for that it was really interesting i found a lot of it was just like kind of shouting matches yeah, yeah, yeah the really shouting matches I performances really it just was a bit lackluster and it had me some of the like flashbacks that it does uh, it had me, had me chuckling a bit. Yeah. I had to hold back my laughter because it was so over the top. Yeah, the, the, like, the low-scale drama is better than the like high prestige we're doing important <laughs> historical yeah. filmmaking here yeah. uh, drama that falls a bit flat. James Gray, Armageddon Time. Ooh, yes. You liked it. I liked it because uh, I'm... Uh, I mean, I don't think it's my favorite James Gray, but mm-hmm. I, uh, um, I like movies that seem like they're small scale and that are small scale but that also touch upon uh like longer historical arcs and this one basically uh charts america's long 20th century from like accepting pogrom refugees to reagan and the trumps and it does so through the story of a of a young boy trying uh to fit in and to you know dealing with his uh very dysfunctional family Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just thought it was a um, uh, it was a really good portrait of that. And Anthony Hopkins gives a great supporting performance. The better supporting performance in the film. Yes, of, of the two films that he was a part of this year. Uh, yeah. Um, to me, I think I I was just uh, I'm just I, I've had it I've had enough, and it's already two more are coming of like the directors doing a recount of their childhood with mm. Spielberg and Sam Mendes, and uh, I think yes, yeah, Sam Mendes also yeah. doing. A, Empire of Light uh, later this year. Uh, this this I also caught this in in Gun, um, and it was uh, I think it was for me a film that had the potential to be a bit like even better yeah. for me. But then it was held back by like reiterating certain mm. beliefs and notions that like it fe- felt really conventional mm. in how it's portraying uh, the characters that it sets up. Uh, but overall, I think it's still like a, a great, great story that spans over a, a couple of years as well. Um, new film from Luca Guadagnino. I've Bones not seen no. it. You have not seen it. Well, uh, I got my short review already out because I, I did have uh, I did have that on my watch list um, in, in Venice. I was in Venice that it played. I also saw Timothy Chalamet in that crazy crazy outfit on the red carpet really looked it, when he when he stepped out of the car it was before the photos were snapped everyone was really just like oh, that's that's daring certainly um but bones and all i think uh i ordered the book it still has not arrived i ordered it before i went to venice oh wow. so i have not read it yet I, I would have loved to have seen it because i think the film does uh quite a few conventional things uh towards the end of the story where it kind of wants to tie up certain narrative bits and it just feels like overly dramatic when Guadagnino is really good at making those, uh, I guess, more subtle moments uh, in between where it's not like the focus to have uh, the the plot advance. And I feel like maybe the, the book, the novel is a bit of a restriction on that, but it didn't really come together like all the way towards the end, but everything leading up to it, uh, there's some great performances from Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Mark Rylance is, is somehow a pleasant surprise in it as well. He's so odd. Some people are going to hate that. Others are going to love it. And I think it's going to be the identity of a bunch of young people. They're like going to say, bones and all, that's, that's, that's so my life. I like don't eat people, but I'm so much like that. Uh, so, so yeah, it's 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 a dark, fun story that, uh, although it is about cannibals, it's very much just a coming of age film in a way as well. Uh, Broker, yes. yes. 
Caught yes. it? Caught it. Yes. At the end of a five, uh, at the end of a five movie day. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting it in a bit of a more relaxed setting. Right. But, uh, I liked it. It's uh, Hirokazu Koreeda. Um, I don't know, offering another variation on what he did in Shoplifters. Yeah. Uh, with uh, like really literalizing the idea of found family. <laughs> this time it's a, a road movie involving human trafficking and murder and. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was very, very wholesome. Song Gang Ho uh, really elevates uh, elevates it to another level. I feel yeah. because he really is one of my favorite actors at this point. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I had a had a really good time. I'm not like uh, an ac uh, like a an acolyte of Koreeda. I think I like him, but he's not like one of my all time favorite directors. But I am also very motivated to uh, watch more of his stuff. I think I just, I, I love Choplifters and I, I haven't seen it, uh, like, I've, I've seen it quite recently, I think like a year or two ago. Uh, so not like, you know, a, a year ago. And um, going into this, I, I had high expectations because mm -hmm. I was really eagerly evading it. And I think it met my expectations, even exceeded them oh, in cool. certain um, aspects. I, I think it's not as, as great as Choplifters, but still has... Uh, like a lot of charm, especially through that uh, leading performance and a lot of the supporting cast as well. I think yeah. it really works for me. It's a charming story about um, on on the page, pretty much like unlikable characters that somehow mm -hmm. are very likable and, and humanized, not in a way where it's just for the story, but it just kind of makes sense. Um, I, I really liked it. Uh, unfortunately, not going to be the one in the Oscar race uh, because I think it would be through uh, South Korea and they put decision to leave from Park Chun Wook. I mean, that's uh, what a what a decision to make. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and then I think it also couldn't go with Japan because they selected Plan Seventy Five. Uh, uh, yeah, that didn't play here. From I think it didn't play in Zurich. <laughs> so caught it a con. I don't think that has a shot of getting in. Uh, but but still, I mean, go go seek out Broco when it releases. And then uh, the big big uh, LGBTQ plus uh, comedy bros. Did you? I did you missed miss it. it. Yes. I had a blast. I think all I think right. that's all you need to to know about the film as well. It's a blast. It's a good studio comedy. I mean, I think it it suffers from the producer credit from Judd Apatow because it overstays its welcome about like fifteen to twenty minutes. Uh -huh. It tries to tie end stuff where it's really conventional where. The rest of the story maybe isn't not not just like the the sexuality aspect of it, but it's it's very much like subverting a bit of like while being still in the frame of of a, of a studio comedy, it still is subverting a few expectations, and it doesn't really do that towards the end. So that was a bit disappointing. Other than that, really solid uh, comedy that made me laugh out loud a couple of times. It's really like that um, belly chuckling type of stuff. I only just recently learned that uh, Guy Branham is in it and that is uh, enough for me to be uh, to put it on my list when it's out in cinemas. Well, go seek it out. Uh, let's get to my favorite film in probably three years. I've already put it up on that pedestal. That's uh, Luca Dance, uh, Dance uh, Close. Uh, was a really big fan of it. I, I don't even want to say too much about it on my side. Uh, side. Just it's great. It's visually stunning. The performances are incredible. I I I love uh, stories that are really sad and uh, feel like they're not just sad because they're sad, but they also have a lot to say about the characters as, as they progress, not just, it's not about the suffering or whatever. He's 13 years old, uh, has a friendship or maybe more than that, 
uh, with one of his classmates. And I don't even want to say more than that. I think it's just a visually very stunning film. What I've not seen it. it. Oh, you haven't seen it. Well, I have also not seen Girl, so um, I remain an, right. uh, well, I remain uninitiated into Luc Adon. The thing is, this is my first film of his. All right, and okay. I think <laughs> he's, he's jumped up there as one of my favorite <laughs> filmmakers. I think it was incredible. Yeah, I just really connected with it. Um, and if you can stomach a a heavy film i think it's really worth it it's i think it's the like i gave five stars to crimes of the future i think i'm fine (laughs) 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 heavy in a a different way but i don't mind the heaviness so yeah i will seek it out when it's uh when it's out in cinemas i hope it comes out do that yeah i think i think it does have a release date it's with uh it's with film copy here in switzerland it's getting a release later in the year uh, and then uh, Gorsash with Vicky Creeps. I think just also a not seen. great character piece. That's all I'll say. Great performance by her. She plays uh, the Austrian d- 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 Duchess, I think. Yeah, Duchess. That's right. Uh, great performance. Um, it's coming into theaters quite soon. And then uh, Daliland. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just, I think it's just Ezra Miller was in this movie. That's my whole review. It's like, okay. It's yeah, Ezra one. Miller is in, and they're in it for like, I don't know, three scenes. And it's, uh, it, it really makes me think that this was an entirely different movie at some point. And then it got re-edited to what it is now. And what it is yeah. is basically like, mush because it's just it's like it's structured like a hollywood biopic but not so much about dali but about the person who becomes his uh, who becomes his assistant yeah it doesn't really make sense and it also doesn't really engage with anything that makes dali interesting or uh problematic or i don't know visionary or whatever adjective you could come up with so in the end it's just bit of a wash yeah i think he's just like a flamboyant character yeah. and he's just like that quote-unquote flamboyant but he doesn't really have any yeah. character that uh we both didn't catch i think their nachname uh which no i heard very bad things about it so i think i'm fine with that um and i think uh, the golden years the golden and yeah is already in theaters uh and dreaming wild also no. caught I, want, in- I wanted to catch that because i like love and mercy by bill Pollard. Uh, I, I think this one is is again a film that that stays uh, on. I think that's just like such a common critique, but it, it overstays its welcome a bit a bit too much. But it's about this uh, uh, this musician who never really quite got the break, and then uh, 20, 25 years after the fact, it gets gets picked up, gets some traction on the internet, and it's maybe a second uh, success story. Or do we even want that? And it's it's very much like a, a story about the family as well, uh, their support and how that impacted them and uh, about lost opportunities. It has a lot of themes, a lot of uh, good music in it as well. I think it's charming. It's a sweet film, um, but uh, something that's, I think, going to fly under the radar for a lot of people. But I mean, like, much like Love and Mercy did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I hope it's not going to happen for this next film. Uh <laughs> personally praised by the, the artistic director of the festival, Gigi and Nate. <laughs> Film about a monkey oh, and God. a paralyzed um, uh, teenager as they form a friendship. And uh, yeah, we, we caught, I think this is one of the few things we, yeah. we caught uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is certainly a movie. <laughs> it is apparently a movie. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I will always fondly remember you coming out of this movie and you saying uh, how much you want to bet the director of this was a 65-year-old white Republican. And uh, it turns out the director is 64 years old, as you told me. So, uh, 
at least 50% right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, my God, it's uh, probably the closest you will get to like uh, in <clears throat> or you would have gotten in Switzerland to seeing one of those uh, pandering uh, American productions that are really geared towards uh, affluent conservative yeah. uh, white suburbanites mm -hmm. uh, and that probably never open anywhere else. So yeah, it's exactly yeah. that. Uh, it's like pure flicks without God. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyways, I think, I think to me, a highlight was All Quiet on the Western Front. Just mm -hmm. a great cinematic experience. Maybe catch it before it releases yeah, on Netflix. Does it's, it come out in cinemas as well? I, I, I hope it does. Yeah, we would um, hope so, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was no real... Um, I think they don't have a distributor sometimes. The Netflix films do get a Swiss distributor. Uh, I think that's not the case here, so we'll have to wait and see. But but yeah, it's it's very much um, a, a worthy adaptation of yeah. the Remark uh, novel. Um, it's really great in its visuals, in its devastating um, uh, just performances, and how morbid it all is. Uh, it doesn't hold back, and um, yeah, I, th I think it, it really adapts the novel. Quite well. I haven't seen the original. Uh, so uh, neither have I. I have some issues with it, but generally I can uh, I can co-sign the the praise. Also, yeah. I mean, for most people, it will probably evoke uh, Sam Mendes' nineteen seventeen. I think I prefer yeah. All Quiet uh, on the Western Front to nineteen seventeen. Yeah, also, because it um, to me it really drives home the point how pointless World War One was yeah. in in a sense. Uh, in a more uh, sustained or in a more and in a more uh, satisfying way than 1917 did, and as you said, the visuals are great. The yeah, I I really like most of the actors. I think uh, sometimes they struggle a bit in the capital B big emotional scenes, where I think the movie is kind of hammering home that it is adapting great world literature a little bit too much but yeah. uh generally i i did really appreciate the film and yeah i think i think we we have to rattle through a few of those because i think we're running out of time um but uh what did you make of the eight mountains uh i liked it it um confirmed for me that uh um felix van groningen uh is a bit uh, is weak is better at setting up his stories than he is at concluding them right so i think the first two hours of this two and a half hour movie work better than the final half hour but mm -hmm. i still i i still uh quite liked it because it was a very low-key um portrait of men changing with their circumstances and i, I like that yeah, I agreed. Uh, I, I think uh, I I caught it at Ghana's premiere, and I was like in my suit and whatever, all dressed <laughs> up. But I was so tired that first mm. day, and at some point, these two characters meshed into one for me. Yeah. Uh, so it was a bit hard to to keep track of it because I, I might have dozed off one or two times. I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, but I think it's it's visually also really yeah. uh, stunning in the four by three aspect ratio, yes. kind of emphasizing on the height of the mountains and. Um, yeah, it's it's really told in silences as well, the whole yeah. film, uh, which confidently directed as well. I don't know if it works all the time, if it might be a bit like too too long or mm. it gets a bit uh, too slow for some people. Um, but I think I'm rethinking my, and I think I gave it like a 5 out of 10, mm -hmm. which I think is a bit low for it. I think it deserves a bit more, uh, which is maybe not in the best mood. Uh, it happens at it festivals. Ha it happens sometimes, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, other people's children, the Zorn for the I did not catch that. 
I think France has, has a good year. When it comes to those films, there's also one, uh, Un Beau Matin, uh, from Mia Hansen. I love, but it is, there's a bunch of uh, great French films. I think also playing at, at the festival, uh, there was the, the Innocent that I quite enjoyed. Did you? Did not see. That's one that gets my recommendations. Pretty much all of the uh, French films, uh, Les Enfants des Autres and Un Beau Matin, I think they were all really solid. Um, Films that I can recommend. Um, have you seen the uh, Akira Kurosawa Ikiru film? Unfortunately, yet? not. I have to, I've had the DVD for years. I'm gonna right. watch it soon. So I assume did you catch then the British remake of it? Uh, I don't think so. What? Which one was it? Living. That's... No, no, no. I didn't. I caught that one. I think it's. I already talked about it when we talked about Venice. So I won't go into it here. But. Uh, Kira is, is a masterpiece, so it's easy to adapt from a masterpiece to not make a garbage film. So it's quite a good <laughs> film. One film that won, the, the, I think, the jury prize or something like that in, in Venice, No Bears. Did you manage to see no, that? No, unfortunately, no. And I am a big Jaffer Panay fan. So. Right. Well, I've seen one film and I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of this one, but maybe I need to, maybe I need to rewatch it. Uh, but You should uh, watch This Is Not A Film or Taxi. Yeah, I was just I, I didn't know anything going in. And then mm -hmm. I, I think I, I needed the the mental preparedness of, of, of what, what a movie of his entails. Um, another highlight, uh, Banshees of Inner Sheeran. I'm seeing that tonight. Well, OK, then I won't say too much. I think it's already gotten um, some praise out of other festivals. I think it's a, it's the best picture frontrunner. It's on the radar for a lot of people. So we can just say for me, at least it's a, it's a great film might be. Uh, Martin McDonough's best film oh, wow. um, to, okay. to me to date. Uh, the Menu, you caught it. I right? did. Uh, lots of praise beforehand. I'm not as effusive, but I still I still had a very good time. Yeah. It kind of is in that uh, sub, in that eat the rich sub genre along with like Knives Out and Ready or Not. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's as good as either of those two movies, but uh, it's you know, it's it's fun. It uh, has a good laugh. Has, has a lot of good laughs. Um, I hope it makes money at the at the box office because it's the kind of uh, like I'm gonna say, call it mid-budget original filmmaking. I don't actually know if it is mid-budget, but it like feels like the kind of mid-budget movies that we yeah. don't get as much of anymore. So yeah. it's, it was. I, I think it was refreshing to see modest size and scope that is still like can create uh, can create something that is so evocative. Yeah, I think the, the eat the rich thing is, is a theme that we're going to see yeah. more and more. We, we've gotten away from uh, a bit more of the maybe COVID years, mm -hmm. one or two. We, we get more of, uh, I guess, the more uh, anti-capitalist eat, mm -hmm. eat the rich film, which, which I mean, is a fun satire. Yeah. Uh, it's not the only one that played at the festival. Uh, maybe to you, the more successful one. Mm -hmm. But what did you make of Triangle of Sadness? I just... I mean, I liked it better than the other Ursula I've seen, The Square. Yeah. Um, I think it's funnier, Triangle of Sadness, but uh, ultimately still didn't deliver enough for me to warrant being two and a half hours long and making ultimately what I thought were fairly basic points. So right. Like, rich people are uh, vapid and shallow. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for those points, I think if, if it's like all, only on the satirical level of trying to make a point, I, I don't know how, how far down it goes, how deep it is. <laughs> But I just found it really uh, just um, entertaining, mm -hmm. and that carried the whole way right, fair enough, for me. Yeah. So I had quite a good time, um, and and yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a film that uh, we're going people are mostly gonna I think easily uh, jump onto yeah. the wagon on and enjoy, uh, which 
I think it was something that I was I was hoping for, uh, like a success story, a, a sequel of sorts for um, Florian Zeller's uh, the, <laughs> the Father and We Got the Son. And we unfortunately, did. it really, you know, fall, fell flat a bit. Yeah, extremely um, so. I don't know if there's much else to say about, like, if you've, you've been a bit a part of the discourse and you've already heard it, uh, it's the adaptation might be a bit weak. Some of the performances really don't don't land. It just is quite bland, which is weird after you get like to me almost like a, a really uh, um, a film for the ages with the father. It feels to me like timeless. The great Anthony Hopkins performance, and here you just get something that just feels like a muddled mess that doesn't really have anything to say and makes some points that like portrays uh, depression in really a a silly childish way yeah. as well. I personally, I felt that uh, the father was also not as um, deep as a lot of people were making it out to be, but I still, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the, um, like the narrative and visual trickery and Anthony Hopkins' performance uh, were great. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the son, yeah, it's it just kind of felt like, okay, so now we're stripping away the trickery and what is left is, as you say, like really unremarkable and quite superficial dealing with human emotions. And yeah, yeah it didn't, really didn't land for me i i remain hopeful for the mother though uh the third in the trilogy i think he's he can still direct a really great film it was just a bit of a misstep here and then lastly i think from all the time we got for the gala section uh did you catch the good nurse i did yeah uh netflix film yeah again yes uh thought it was was fine i mm -hmm. i'm unconvinced by the performances from jessica chastain and eddie redmayne but uh i think the movie pushed through that by virtue of being uh like kind of a little bit of a sleazy paperback thriller and yeah. to give the sleazy paperback thriller treatment to a horrific true story of like <laughs> yes. a, a murder essentially mm -hmm. uh i thought was a bold move and i think it's it it works as the as the thriller that it is yeah, it definitely works within that. Just don't peek outside of yeah. what the actual implications of it are. It's, it's a bit weird when you try to, I guess, make it thrilling when it, it is mm. about uh, someone who's done horrific things. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's that's a bit hard. But I think that's all from the gala section. There's, there's a few more that uh, we watched, uh, at least uh, that I'm confident that I watched, didn't get into. Um, well, post uh, well i'll be posting uh, a a kind of a watch list of all the things i saw in in the tier list form um an upcoming day where i'll have all the films in here but uh lastly there's there's a few of the the smallest sections uh the hashtag religion worldview spain and borderlines uh was there any film that that stood out to you uh from there uh yes so uh fire of love mm -hmm. uh, by sarah dosa and in, in the religion section uh not a fantastic movie because i think it re really is undercut by the fact that it has a bit of a overly twee voiceover but it right. is the story of uh, katja maurice craft a french volcanologist couple who died in the 90s uh, in a volcanic eruption and who dedicated their lives to documenting volcanoes the movie's great strength is that it just really uh goes all out on uh, showing the uh, the footage that the two uh, that the two recorded mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I'm also uh, jumping off from that movie. I am very interested in uh, watching very soon the new Van Herzog movie, The Fire Within, which is also about the crafts and yeah. uh, which people say is a very interesting pairing with the, with Fire of Love. So although just for, you know, continuing my own Van Herzog project, I have to see Fire of Love. So, you do, uh, yeah. You do have I, to finish I, the whole... Are you almost through the entire filmography? At uh, this point? I have seen Herzog's entire filmography, oh, but okay. then he went and made two movies in 2022 that I've yet to see. Oh, so one of them is The Fire Within, and which I will watch very soon because it just uh, it was on regular old TV on Arte. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it's a bit harder to find then, I guess, maybe. Uh, there, there were two films that I saw out of this section, Hunk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Um, mm -hmm. Funny film that I think uh, gets a bit meta with the, the mockumentary type of style that it's doing. Uh, I think it's entertaining, worth checking out. Uh, and then Boy From Heaven, I did an interview with the uh, director that I'll... No, I can't link it here yet because the film is not out yet. So you see that later day when it gets to the release date. But uh, that was a really interesting thriller uh, that I can recommend um, about uh, the Cairo institution. Um, Al-Azhar, I think is what it's called. I'll have to correct myself if I'm wrong there. But um, yeah, a really interesting thriller. But but that's it for for the the religion section for me. And then in for Spain, uh, I only caught on the fringe, but that was back in Venice as well. Uh, Penelope Cruz, um, and it's 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 uh, someone who's constantly on the fringe. <laughs> I guess it's it is that kind of uh, thriller where everyone everyone needs to move at all times. It's about. Uh, I guess a bit of uh, like the housing crisis as well, uh, peeping, people being evicted. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a solid film uh, out of Spain, but it's a huge section over here in the world view Spain. And I'm quite disappointed that I didn't get to catch uh, more uh, of them. Uh, but I, I don't know, do you have- I saw Alcaraz, the, mm -hmm. uh, the winner of Berlin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thought it was fine, a bit, formless and not that interested in um, you know speaking to anyone that is not <clears throat> familiar with the kind of struggle that uh, the film depicts about um, farmers in uh, in rural Spain but I also have to say I do respect it for that that it mm. chooses and really goes for that specificity so it's like not my favorite movie but I um I appreciated it right and then uh, out of Borderlines the only thing I saw was back at Sundance Midwives did an interview with the director there uh again um link to that but <laughs> so much to link to uh but yeah I didn't catch anything else uh that's an interesting one but I saw uh, Patricio Guzman's uh, Mi País Imaginario or My Imaginary Country about the yeah. protest movement in Chile uh, and the ensuing uh, process to reform the, uh, the constitution mm -hmm. uh, by Patricio Guzman's standards, who uh, is really good with uh, associative documentary uh, storytelling. So like Nostalgia for the Light or uh, The Pearl Button um, are great examples of that. And this one is disappointingly straightforward uh basically just you know talking heads of people from the protest movement right uh what it does have going for it is very uh striking intense on the ground footage of mm. the protests and uh kind of an outlook that doesn't feel the need to justify its own leftist position it mm. just kind of defines uh, its own politics on positive terms and says this is what we stand for and we just assume or we just say these are good things and 
we're just going to roll with that. And I thought that was that was quite good, even if the, the whole like storytelling could have been a bit more expansive and a bit more associative. Also because Chile has that history of um, protest and dictatorship and leftist resistance that Guzman also only slightly touches on. Well, I think that's all of the things we'll talk about today. This was a longer session than expected, but we did get to touch on pretty much all uh, a lot of the films that we watched. Uh, the rainy days here in Zurich <laughs> are over. It was a really rainy festival, yeah. but you could say perfect cinema uh, weather. But yeah, I think uh, Zurich with its 18th iteration is really establishing its place in the European um, film festival circuit uh, as a highlight festival, um, picking stuff sometimes from Sundance a bit, but mainly from Cannes and Venice, uh, so a great highlight. For me, at least, it was great because I went in having seen about 25 films already. Yeah. That made it really chill. I would <laughs> love to do that again. My bank account would say something different. But uh, yeah, really four festival uh, out of great films, hopefully uh, a lot of films that you can put onto your watch list. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on again. Uh, thank we'll you for having you me. In the next 365 days, we'll be <laughs> <Definitely>. back here <laughs> to talk again about uh, the festival. Um, now, do you have anything to shout out? Where can uh, people find you? Yes, uh, you can uh, check out my writing on maximumcinema.ch and facingthebittertruth.com. Uh, there I'm also linking uh, my podcast appearances uh, both here and on Maximum Cinema and my articles that appear elsewhere such as on Swiss Info and you can follow me on Twitter at Alan Motley. Sweet, perfect. And you can follow everything quite on set. Link below is the link tree to everything. Uh, subscribe and like if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Uh, not with Alan, unfortunately. You'll have to wait another year for that. Maybe, maybe we got some other things in the works where he'll be back. But uh, yeah, back with Lachlan next week. And uh, we'll see you Monday. Yeah.